It's really a pleasure and privilege to be with you all here this morning. Um, my nickname is Cheech. My government name is Charles. Uh, quick story, you're probably wondering how did I get this nickname. If you grew up in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, then you know about Cheech and Chong. My last name is Chung. Uh, when I went to college, I met this guy next to me. I introduced myself. He asked me, what's your full name? I said, Charles Chung. And he said, can I just call you Cheech? And I said, let's do it, brother. And so uh, that's how the name came. Um, I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to stick to it. But it's really good to be with you all. We are just 10 minutes in Chelsea at Redeemer downtown between 6th and 7th Avenue on 14th Street. And I was driving in today, me and my wife and our daughter, and just saying and thinking that it's such a privilege to be worshiping with other people and other churches. And the honest truth is this, and I was talking about this with Jasmine, is that um, we at Redeemer, because we have a name and that we're a large church, that we're very stuck up. We are very much in our own bubble, and we think way too highly of ourselves. And so this time worshiping with you all, singing the songs have been really um, encouraging to my soul and humbling to me. So thank you. Thank you. It really is an honor. Let, let me pray as we jump into the word this morning. Well, Heavenly Father, I don't know what my friends here are bringing. I don't know what this past week has looked like. But we want to bring these things to you, our sadness, our shame. We also want to bring our joys and our triumphs to you. So God, through your word this morning in Matthew chapter 7 on prayer, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to believe your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter named Carissa. She's with the children's ministry right now. And the past two weeks or so have been really brutal, right? The, it's raining today, and this is such a gift for all of us. But for the past two weeks, what we've been experiencing is just this brutal, crazy heat. And in our house, it's hard to control the temperature. Especially overnight, we're trying to put our daughter to bed. And some morning, she's waking up just drenched in sweat because she's so hot. And other mornings, I find her in the crib, uh, coddled up in the fetal position because she is freezing. And just a few days ago, I thought to myself, why don't I teach her to tell us when she's hot or when she's cold? So she knows when the coffee, my cup is, is hot when she touches it, so, so she doesn't touch and burn herself. But she also knows that when she goes into like a pool or the beach, that the water is typically cold. So she knows hot and cold at, at this age. And so I told her, if you are hot, say, Appa, dad in Korean, I'm, I'm hot, I'm hot. And to say, Oma, I'm cold, I'm freezing. She hasn't done it yet. It's minor, it's really minor, but I hope that this uh, quick lesson will teach her and form her in very serious and uh, lifelong lessons. What I'm trying to get at, hopefully, is that she will continue to depend on us in any of her needs, that she will hopefully continue to see and know that she has a father and a mother that loves her, and hopefully that we continue as a family to connect and grow in intimacy. That's what I want her to learn. It's a very small thing, but it has drastic teaching. In essence, this is what our passage is pointing at this morning, being like a child when it comes to prayer. Today, we're looking at the practice, the exercise, the muscle 
of prayer. And the question for us to consider today is this. If you are not a Christian here, how might you discover for the first time prayer? And if you are a lifelong, you've grown up in the church, you've been a Christian for a while, how might you rediscover the practice of prayer in your life? All right, so let's look at that together. Let me say up front that we should know that non-Christians pray too. Non-Christians pray too. All those times when you are, if you are non-Christian here and you've uh, laid in your bed and you're having a monologue with yourself about all your anxieties, all of your shames, all of your worries, and you think that it's going up into thin air, that's a form of prayer. If you are into music, you're a musician, or you like words, maybe you've written down your thoughts and your emotions and your worries, your needs on paper. Maybe you're a songwriter. Maybe you are a rapper. You put these words on paper. This is a kind of prayer. If you're younger, you're on social media, maybe in times of desperation, you've put words together on a post or on your story reaching out for help. You wanted publicly, you wanted the public to know that you are in need, and maybe you've gone ahead and deleted that post. That is a form of prayer. Non-Christians pray too. It's just to an unknown God. Let it also be known that Christians, although we know that we are to pray and communicate with God regularly, that we utterly fail to do this consistently and to do it well and to know the fullness of what prayer actually is. How do I know this? Because this is me. This is me. And maybe that's you this morning. So we're going to look at this in three ways. First, why it's difficult to pray. Second, why we need to pray. And third, the prayer that is the power for our prayers. All right, so let's look at that. First, why it's difficult to pray. It's difficult to pray because there are personal reasons, there's societal reasons, there's existential reasons. I'm going to draw out some of these. This is not an exhaustive list. I think you could add a million more things because you all are experienced and wise. So first, I think that we believe that we have life under our control. That no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter how much we actually don't have control over our lives, that we must in our minds have control over our lives. It's our life, it's our responsibility, our present and our future are dictated by our actions and inactions. And when life gets out of control, which happens regularly, we do everything we possibly can with all of our fiber, with all of our being to get life back under our control, don't we? This is the picture of having a, a well-stocked home. Uh, we're in Brooklyn, Costco nearby, we always go, get all the toilet paper, get all the paper towels, detergent, detergent, soap. Like, there's so much stuff. We get it in bulk. And this is for what reason? It's so that we are prepared. And preparation is the cousin of control. If you were here in New York City during uh, Hurricane Sandy in 2012, maybe some of you remember this, that was a crazy time. It didn't matter how well-stocked your home was. It didn't matter if you had uh, two of those large Costco packs of toilet paper. You still went out to the supermarket and got some more if you were smart. 
We need life under control. And I remember we were in zone two. Um, zone one is like the, the, the greatest um, impacted area. We were in zone two in uh, Marine Park in Brooklyn. And I just remember my cousin and my brother going out to New Jersey to pick up gasoline. Uh, us going out to the supermarkets to fill our cabinets with food and gallons of water. Preparation. When emergency comes, we need to get life under control. This is who we are. But prayer, actually, on the other hand, is to say, I don't have control. And that is why it's so difficult to pray. There's another uh, personal reason that's a little bit more cynical than control, and it's that prayer, honestly, is just unproductive. God is invisible. He doesn't verbally talk back to me. If I'm praying to him, I don't know when I'm going to get an answer. God, at least what you could do is put up an automated email. Let me know. Give me a response, something. Let me know when you're going to be back. Prayer seems like such a, a waste of time sometimes in New York City. We are a people of instant gratification. We need answers right now. If you don't reply back, you're gone. You're, you're gone. You're cut. At least doing the dishes allows me to reuse the dish and to use it for the next meal. But sometimes prayer feels so unproductive. We're about optimization and production, bang for buck here in New York City. And prayer just doesn't add to any of that. If that's not enough, uh, let me add that for some of us that have prayed regularly and consistently and fervently, the honest truth is that sometimes God has answered those prayers in the ways that we do not wish. We pray for a job. We didn't get it. Praying for a husband or a wife. This person still hasn't appeared. They're not on these dating apps. We pray for healing and miracles. God didn't show up. Why did, go on, why did God go on vacation during the most uh, dire times of my life? How come he didn't answer the prayers the way that I wished? Some of us have these painful seasons of life where we did pray. Prayer also may have been uh, really important at one point in our lives. It was regular, we were disciplined in it, but life happens. Maybe you had a baby trying to just sustain and, and take care of your child for a season. Uh, maybe your job, you're just swamped there. Maybe your friendships are down the drain. Maybe you're still recovering from COVID and the pandemic. You're still trying to figure out life. And that's why prayer just becomes a, a thing that gets notched down on your priorities list. We could be honest about that. That's why it's difficult to pray. But let me add on, there's uh, some societal and historical reasons as well why it's so difficult to pray. Look, we live in a post-Christian uh, era. We live in a post-Christian society where it is not natural or essential to pray. So before the internet, before the enlightenment, before the industrial revolution, Christianity and being spiritual and religion was very normal. It was natural. So imagine this, after the service today, you might get in a small group and go out for lunch to a na uh, nearby neighborhood. And we've all been in these situations before where we thought, should I pray? It might be a little awkward. What if the waiter or the waitress comes along and sets the food down while we're praying? That's an uncomfortable situation. 
what are the people, the patrons in the rest of the restaurant going to think about us praying? And most of the times we do pray together. But if we're honest, it's a little uncomfortable. If this was 400 years ago and you showed up at a restaurant and you and your group did not pray, everyone in the restaurant would think that you're crazy, that you have lost your mind. Because there was a time in our world, in our society, where everybody prayed. It was normal to pray. And yet we live in a time, in a post-Christian era, post-Christian society and culture, where it's not natural, it's not essential to pray. So for all of these reasons, these personal, these existential, these societal, historical reasons, it's difficult to pray. Let me show us why, though. We need to pray. So that's my second point, the need to pray. Uh, there was a child development study done called Strange Situation, and they took uh, nine to 18-month-old infants, babies, and they placed a child with one of their parents in a room. And it was a safe room. There were some toys and activities. And as the child get, got acclimated to the room, a stranger walks in, takes a seat, brings it over to mom or dad. They get into conversation. It's cordial. Everything is good. And then slowly, the parent walks out of the room. And in one situation, you see that the infant, the child, starts crying and running toward mom or dad, clinging onto their leg, hollering and won't let mom or dad go. Crazy, acting all crazy. In another situation, same thing, mom or dad in the chair, in the room with the baby, stranger walks in, and then slowly after some time, after getting acclimated, the parent slowly walks out of the room. And this child sees the parent leaving, blinks twice, looks at them, and goes back to playing with their toys. I don't know if you have children or not, or if you want children, but if you were to have one of these children, which one would you want? It's the calm and collected one. It's the one that's playing with the toys, that's not creating a ruckus, that's not making chaos, right? That's a New York City baby. This baby could take the train by themselves if they want. <laughs> Well, the study has shown, actually, that the baby that is calm and collected is unhealthy and has not appropriately at this time um, found their attachment to their parents. The child, on the other hand, that is hollering, that's going crazy, that is crying and clinging, actually is the baby that has developed attachment in a healthy way to their parent. In other words, the child must find their identity with mom or dad. In the same manner for all of us, no matter how old we are, no matter who we are, no matter how great our jobs are, no matter how much money we make, no matter how many friends we have, no matter how many followers we have on social media, the reality is this, that we must find our identity, who we are with our Father in heaven. We, we cannot know who we are and understand ourselves apart from God, our maker, our creator, our lover. We need to pray. We need to pray. In other words, we are made for deep relationship with God and for God. In other words, life is not calm and collected. There are strange situations out here. And we need the person who is going to keep us safe, who is going to protect us who's gonna guide us, who's gonna walk with us. We need to cling on to God. 
It's also the practice of prayer that gives all of the understanding and the reasons to all of the other practices. You're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount this whole summer. These are practices. They're examples of Jesus. As Jesus is preaching these things to the disciples and to the crowd, you have to understand that prayer is at the center of all of these things. Look at this. If uh, you cannot understand the scriptures, if you're reading the Bible and you're reading a story, you cannot understand the scriptures without having deep prayer. Why? Because it is our nature to put ourselves in the seat of the Savior when we are supposed to be reading the Bible as the one that needs saving. We need to pray so that we get that position right. We're not the ones that's saving. We're the ones that need saving. We need prayer to show us that. If you're looking at generosity, we need to pray because without praying, you will give to others, you will give to organizations, you are gonna be uh, so, in the eyes of the, uh, the world and in the eyes of your church, very generous. But actually, what might be going on in your heart without prayer is, look at me. I'm doing a great and mighty deed. Look at me. We need prayer so that it would flip that posture in our hearts. That money was never ours to begin with. The time was never ours to begin with. You cannot understand compassion, and you know, we, we're in a very similar neighborhood where we are uh, walking into brothers and sisters, neighbors who are experiencing homelessness every single day. All these new interns, people that are new to New York City, that's the first thing they see, that's the first thing we talk about when I'm meeting with new people here in the city, is the, the rate and the, uh, the poverty rates here in our city. If you are trying to show compassion as a Christian, as a good person, you need to pray because you will naturally fall into the deception that you're now a good person because you are slightly helpful. Prayer reverses that posture and position. True compassion leads for you to pray and doing these things in secret. Tim Keller, he uh, sums it up well in his book. He's the founding pastor of our church. Prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our lives, that posture change. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God, Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. If we're honest with ourselves, none of us have control over our lives. Can we admit that? Can we humbly admit that? None of us have control over our lives. We need to pray because it's in the practice of it. We unlearn the lie that we have that control, and we learn the truth that God is with us in the mess. We need to pray because as productive people, God doesn't want us to be less productive. God doesn't want us to be lazy. No, when we pray, we actually see that in the scriptures and through his word, that he wants us to be productive, that he calls us to bear fruit, to multiply, and to cultivate the earth. That is language of creation and recreation and of work. Work was good before the fall. There was always work in God's economy. We are to work. But God is not trying to stunt us by praying. Talk about that point of unproductivity, right? By praying, we unlearn the lie that production 
is our worth. And we relearn the truth that we are already worthy and therefore we are called into excellent and good work in our city and in these areas and aspects of life. We need to pray because God shows us in those moments where we may have thought, God, you didn't answer in the way I wished. You didn't show up. You didn't reply. You said no. You said maybe later. You said not yet. We need to pray because we relearn that God is the one that's showing us that he could use even evil for our good. In those times when our genuinely good prayers are uh, answered in the ways that we don't wish, I hope that you'll take this away. God is never evil or ill-willed in his answers because if he sacrificed his own son for us, don't you think he knows what's truly best? Finally, we need to pray when we think it's less important in our lives because sometimes it's through practice and repetition we gain a love and understanding for how essential it really is. We do this with everything in our lives, working out, going to the gym, meeting with our friends, hosting people in uh, our apartments. We do these things and we build these habits. And at, in the beginning, we don't think that it's all that great or all that important, but after time, after the habit, we build a routine and we see the importance. We see the, uh, the great need for it. I got the opportunity to listen to these musicians and I'm like, these people up here worked and put in hours and hours and hours to get to this place. They don't even need the song sheets at this point. They could just come up here and they do still practice, but they put in the hours so that they could get to the place where they are. And in the same way, when we put in the hours of practice into the practice of prayer, we will find out just how beautiful and lovely and necessary prayer actually is. On their resume, on our resumes, people should uh, know very clearly that they know how to play. They know how to perform. If you are a Christian here today and people look at your life and look at your character and look at your resume, your spiritual resume, they should know that you are someone that prays. But finally, we need to know the source of power for our prayers because we don't just generate these prayers on our own. We need power to do that, to sustain us. There are two accounts of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first one, before he's betrayed by Judas Iscariot. First one is in Matthew 26. The other one is in Luke 22. This is what Luke says. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives or the Garden of Gethsemane, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus is pleading with God the Father to take this cup from him. In other words, Jesus does not want this wrath. He does not want this judgment. It is way too much for him. He's bringing these things. He's full of anguish and distress to the point that his sweats were like drops of blood. Can you imagine that? I have never prayed that hard. 
He's begging God to take the judgment and the wrath away from him. Jesus, he empathizes with our, with our weakness when it comes to this life of prayer. He prays. He has no control here. Think about that. He has no control here, and yet he's fighting for control. This is a, a tug of war. This is a give and take for control between Jesus, the Son of God, and God, his good Father, who is about to betray him on the cross. No control. This prayer is not productive. That's one of the reasons why we find it difficult to pray. This is not a productive prayer. Jesus knows that the will of God is that he was to come and to live and to die on the cross for you and I, for the sins and the brokenness of this world. And yet he still prays. He still prays to God so that he might remember what he was sent to do and what to produce. This prayer is not productive. And this prayer is cruel. It's such a letdown, isn't it? Look at this. His disciples, Peter, James, and John, they were supposed to be there to intercede, to be with him, to support him, to uplift him, to encourage him, to be there for him. And what does it say? They fell asleep. You're telling me that Jesus, who is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, who is about to go onto the cross because he's about to be betrayed by one of his own disciples, is sitting with his other disciples kneeling on the ground, praying for those goons like drops of blood. This prayer is so cruel. It's such a letdown, isn't it, for Jesus? And yet this is the prayer that powers all of our prayers. What eventually happens, this prayer leads Jesus to the cross, the God-man who was sent from heaven to earth, who became a neighbor to us, who made a home with us, who came close to us, who empathizes with us, who gave up all of the riches of heaven, all of the glory, so that he might live a life with us and for us and to show us what a perfect life was supposed to look like. He lives this perfect life on our behalf. He goes to the cross, dies for our sins, for our brokenness, so that you and I might have life and life abundant and life eternal, the life that truly, truly is life. The son he's abandoned so that you and I might be adopted into his family, so that we might be called sons and daughters of God, so that we might be known, so that we might be loved. This is the prayer that leads him to that. And then Jesus, he gives his disciples and us the pattern of prayer in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. It goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, if you are to pray this, you will do well. If you pray this, you will do well. Just a few more points before we end. True prayer must always be in Jesus' name. Not in Mary's name, if you grew up Roman Catholic. Not in your friend's name. Um, not a song that just kind of fades into darkness. Prayer must always be in Jesus' name. That means that we must understand that prayer, every single time, if it's truly prayer, is an act of grace and an act of dependence on the power and the name of Jesus. 
True acts of prayer is only accessible to those who believe and have a relationship with Jesus. I said in the beginning that if you had those moments, which we all have, where we're lying awake in the middle of the night, having a monologue with ourselves about our anxieties, if you wrote a song, if you put something up on social media and you deleted it, I said that those are forms of prayer, but those are not true acts of prayer. This is an invitation for you, if this is you, to have a relationship with Jesus so that you might actually be seen and known and heard by the God of the universe who loves you deeply and wants to help you help yourself. Come to him. Prayer is also not just an individual exercise. I think uh, some of us come into this religion and into Christianity thinking that prayer is just a me thing. No, prayer is a, a team sport. Prayer is so communal. Pray together. Pray for each other. Pray with one another. Pray not just for your own needs. And there are also various kinds of prayer. I don't have time to go into all of them, but adoration, thanksgiving, confession, uh, petition, lament, silence, examine, so many different forms of prayer. I think when we uh, think about prayer, we automatically think about petition, which is, uh, in other words, to ask God for uh, things that we might want or need. But there are so many different forms of prayer. And I know this for sure, that there are prayer warriors in your church. If you are looking to grow in your prayer life and in the discipline of prayer, ask your pastors, ask the, uh, the wiser, the older, spiritually older people in your life, in this church. They will guide you. They will teach you just like they have to have learned themselves. So ask. Prayer is a communal effort. Let me end with this. There's a quote by a Scottish pastor. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Whether you are praying or not, whether you are here and you claim to be a Christian or not, believe this, Jesus is praying for you. He is interceding at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Imagine that. Picture that in your, in your minds right now. Jesus, the Son of God, is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying on your behalf that you might be heard, that you might come to him. And that is a powerful thing. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that although we are a people that despise prayer, that we find prayer unproductive, that we like to have our own control, that God, you offer us so much more, that you invite us to come to you, to bring these needs and the wants and desires to you, to bring our laments, to bring our suffering to you, a God who empathizes with our weakness, that knows our brokenness, that knows our shame, knows our sorrow, knows our sin. Not because you sinned, but because you lived in a world full of it. And yet you went to the cross, died on our behalf, resurrected, and now you are seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. There you are in glory and majesty, and we get the privilege and the honor to know you. So thank you for inviting us to that this morning, whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the hundredth time. Help us that we might respond in grace through prayer and with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.